morning. Before we begin, I, uh, I want to be sure to, uh, and I'm sure we're going to do this again in, in a few minutes toward the end of service, but I want to take a second and talk about Trunk or Treat. Um, that is, of course, coming up this evening. We're going to have uh, worship outside, followed by our trunk, of, uh, trunk or Treat time in the parking lot, and then make our way into the fellowship hall for uh, soups and sandwiches and all of that. Uh, but I want to uh, I want to encourage you to do two things. Um, I, I think that this is a really uh, awesome opportunity for us. It's not just a time for us to have fun, though we will. Uh, but it is a time for us to really be able to uh, to reach out to those around us, to reach beyond these walls, and really uh, just invite people to see what this family is about. Uh, so I encourage you to do one of uh, two things, not one of two, but hopefully both. Uh, one of the things that I encourage you to do uh, is to be here. Um, I, I, if, you know, if you have a car and if you can afford a bag of candy, that is all it takes for you to, to be one of the trunks that is visited. Uh, and, and I can guarantee you that uh, just being able to, to be there and to, to interact with these kids that are coming through and just to be able to fellowship, uh, that will make it worth it. I guarantee it. Uh, if you are able to be here this evening and you've got some candy and you drove here, uh, please go ahead and, and make it a point to, to be one of those trunks um, that, that is a stopping place for our visitors and for those that are participating uh, because it, it will mean a lot to them uh, to see how many people are, are involved in, in wanting to, to be engaged with them. Uh, the other thing that I encourage you to do, the second thing, uh, is to, to, to tell a friend, to tell someone about it. Uh, we have several postcards out in the back um, that, are, that are still available for you to pick up. It has all the information on there. Um, but I encourage you, whether it's a, you know, a, a relative of some kind, uh, a friend, a neighbor, uh, whoever you are able to really connect with, anyone that, that has kids that are wanting to come, even adults that are just wanting to be a part of something, be sure to, to reach out and, and tell someone about tonight's event. Uh, we're going to have, uh, some of our teens will be here early and our college is going to meet early. Uh, if you are... Uh, you know, kind of not sure where you're wanting to park or what you need to do, uh, we will be here to help kind of set that up. Uh, things are going to be a little bit different, and of course, those that visit won't even have to come in to this building for worship. Uh, we thought that this was a good way to say, you know, you don't even have to step into the building because we're going to go outside and we're going to do all of this outside, and, and all you have to do is just come into the parking lot and just kind of hang out there. Uh, and so we'll do worship uh, out. Uh, in the parking lot, kind of near where the, the offices are. And, uh, and then we'll make sure that you are set up the way that we need to for Trunk or Treat this evening. Uh, but again, I want to encourage you to, to be sure to, to be here for that and also to tell someone about that. So getting into our lesson for this morning, I'm going to start the way that I always do. Uh, I was in fifth grade. And, uh, and a little bit about me when I was in fifth grade, well, my whole life, grades have always been very important to me. And when, even when I was in fifth grade, I, I was very uh, confident about making the best grades that I possibly could. 
And uh, so I go into our classroom, and, you know, it's just your, your typical classroom. I'm actually in the front of this big grid of desks, and I'm, you know, sitting front and center, because uh, that's the, the kind of kid that I was. I liked to, to be close, and I liked to get to learn all of this stuff. And uh, we actually had a, a test coming up uh, during, uh, during one of these weeks, and so... Uh, the, the test is getting closer and closer in time to, uh, for us to take it. And I remember the night before, I, I look over some stuff, and I don't actually really study it uh, for some reason. I, I just figure that I, I already knew everything for, for that test. And, uh, and so it's finally test day. And uh, so we're all sitting there, and the, the teacher comes by, and she's you know, handing out all the tests, and, and she lays this test right in front of me. And I start to look at it, and I realize that I don't really, I don't really know any of this stuff that's put in front of me. Uh, I suddenly realize that this test is not going to go as well as, as my tests usually go. And so I, I'm not feeling great about it, and uh, you know, I do the best that I can, and I think, well, I didn't do great, I didn't really know anything, but you know, maybe I'll end up with you know, a B, and that'll be fine. And uh, so that's kind of the mentality that I have. So the next day, we come back in, and everybody sits down, we're all at our desks, and it's time for the teacher to pass out all these tests. So one at a time, she, you know, she looks at the test and she's putting it back on everyone's desk. And she comes over to me and she lays it down and just keeps on walking. And meanwhile, I am looking at this test and it has a big F written on the test. And I am losing my mind because I have never, up until this point, I had never made an F on a test before. That was the first time that that ever happened to me, and I was devastated. And so in my mind, I'm just thinking, how did I do so bad on all of this? How, how in the world am I the person in this class that ended up failing this test? Now, a couple other things end up happening that really ends up saving me. One of the first things that happens is I kind of look around, because I'm in shock, and so I'm kind of seeing... Is, is it just me? And it wasn't just me. As I look around to all the, other, all the other kids around me, they're also not looking so great because everybody else had also failed that test. Turns out that every single one of us failed that exact test. So then something else happens, and, and this is something that I definitely won't forget. Our teacher you know, then kind of addresses the fact that we didn't do so good. And then she says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you guys, one at a time, after you've really looked through this test to see all the things you got wrong on it, I'm going to let you get up one at a time and you're going to walk over to the trash can. And I'm going to let you, you know, if you want to crumple it up, if you want to rip it up, whatever you want to do, but I'm going to let you throw that test away and we will forget all about it. And so that's what we do. One of, every single one of us, one at a time, we, we walk up and, uh, and, and I can remember ripping up that test and throwing it away. And luckily for us, just in this whole situation, she was willing to let us just completely forget about that test that, that we had all failed. One of the things that, 
that I really want to point out uh, about this story, and not really about this story, but about any test that you take, uh, whether it's a, a fifth grade test, whether it's you know some really big important test uh, for getting you know some kind of really high up medical degree, or you know whatever kind of test it might be. It doesn't matter how much we we think we know the right answers. What really matters is that we actually know the right answers. We can be as, as terrified of a test or as confident of a test as we want to be, but once we get to it, if we don't actually know the right answers to that test, we're going to fail. We have to know the right answers for that test. If you will, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is where we're going to spend a good amount of our time. Uh, and uh, in 1 Corinthians, specifically in chapter 10, this is, of course, Paul who is writing to the church in Corinth. And, uh, and Paul is basically going through this chapter and he's talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about uh, the, the people that were to follow God uh, throughout the Old Testament. But if there's anything that we know about Israel and about the things that they do, we know that Israel is a, a select group of people who never really produce a true faith. Now, yes, they do a lot of things where they are following God, but they are, you know, they're a people who they hear God's word and they see the works that he does and yet, so many times, they, they just get things wrong. They never really produce that, that true faith. And as we think about this nation of God-selected people, we think about how you know, they, they, they followed him, but then things went wrong, and they ended up being enslaved, and then they were set free. And a lot of times we think about them just kind of wandering in the wilderness. And if you look at that story, you see so many times that they just keep getting things really wrong. They just keep making a lot of really bad mistakes. And, and, and if we look at who they really are, sure, they have faith at one time or another, but they really don't produce a true faith. And so Paul is, is talking about uh, this nation. He's telling the people uh, of Corinth all about this nation of Israel. And he's saying, you know, look back at the things that they've done. Look back at, at all the mistakes they've made. And what Paul is really telling to Corinth is he's saying, now, how Israel lived is an example to us. And now, when I say us specifically, I actually mean that he's talking to Corinth, but he's also talking to, to us today. Because how Israel lived is also an example to me and you. It's an example that we can look back at and we can see exactly all of these terrible mistakes that they've made where even when God was in their presence, they still turned away. And they still went in a completely different direction. And all of this is now written down for our instruction and for the instruction of the church at Corinth. And so this, just kind of getting an idea uh, leading up to this passage that, that we're going to look at specifically, just these couple of verses. But leading up to this, 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about Israel and how they lived and how they made a lot of mistakes and how that's now an example to us today. So now that brings us to this passage that I want to look at. Uh, This is the passage that Zach read for us uh, earlier this morning. And it is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. I'm going to read this again for you. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to read uh, verse 13 specifically several times this morning because I really want us to understand what this is telling us and not what we think this might be telling us. So starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. At the beginning of this passage, specifically verse 12, uh, we see this mentioning of, of take heed. And what Paul is saying here, what Paul is telling the Corinthians is he's basically saying, you know, uh, do, you, do you feel like you have everything figured out? Do you feel like you have this relationship with God figured out? Because if you do, you probably need to stop. You need to stop and you need to listen and you need to take heed, meaning really just pay attention to the life and, and, and the mistakes of Israel. Before you really start to to live your life the way that you are living, before you live as the church that you are, stop and pay attention to what Israel has done. So that's really how he's, he's starting this off. He's saying, you know, these people that were literally in the presence of God, they were still walking away from Him. They saw the miracles of the Father. They saw all of these awesome things take place right in front of them, and yet they were still distracted by other gods. So he's saying, think back to Israel and pay attention to how they lived and remember that. And so then that brings us into verse 13. I'm going to read verse 13 again for us. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So verse 13, this is kind of what I want to put a lot of our focus on this morning. Because I'll be honest, I think that there's a way for us to very easily misinterpret this passage and to really think the wrong way about what this is telling us. And I think this is the way that we view it. I think this is the the wrong way for us to view it. This is what we do. I think that we look at our lives and we say, okay, so when it comes to all of these different parts of my life, I feel like I'm very strong in my faith. But there's, you know, there's this one thing, there's this one sin, this one temptation, this one thing that can really attack me, and uh, I'm not so strong there. Um, We can consider that our weakness. This is where I'm at my weakest point, this particular part of my life. Maybe another way we view it is we kind of say, you know, I can handle so much sin or or tribulation that that comes to me, you know, up to about here. But then once we get above that level, it's going to be too much for me. 
And so we think of these different ideas where we have these weaknesses, we have these difficulties. We basically say, you know, I have a limit to, to what I am capable of doing, to what I am able to endure. And then after that, we say, you know, if I were to be attacked in any of these ways, I can't win. I'm not going to be able to withstand those things, and God knows that. And so what God is probably going to do is he's going to say, you know what, since I know that's where you're weak, you don't even have to face those temptations. You're going to live your life just completely without those things. And so we believe that God is not going to allow us to face any of those things in our life. But then what happens is those things do come our way. Those, those sins, that, that particular temptation, that area of weakness, it gets attacked. And what we do is we look at this verse and we say, well, if I am being attacked in this way, then I have no reason to not fall into that temptation. I have no reason to give in because God knows where my limit is. God knows what my weakness is. And if he's still allowing that to be present in my life, then I'm not going to be able to escape it. And what we do is we allow that to be an excuse to embrace sin. And so when we look at this passage, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10... A lot of times what we end up doing is we misuse this passage in order to remove the blame from ourselves. And we say according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, even you know, specifically what we see in verse 13, what I understand from this passage is that either God will hold up his end of the deal and he's going to keep me from the things that are difficult in my life, from my weaknesses, from the things that could be uh, too hard for me to, to face myself. Or, God knows that I can't win. God knows that I'm just going to give in to these things, but that's my excuse. And so we, we take this passage and we misuse it, and we basically remove that blame from us and we put it on other people. We put it on our circumstances in our life that are coming our way. Or we put the blame on God. But we misuse this passage and we take away that blame. But we know that this is not the right answer. This can't be the right answer, and, and it's not. Uh, real quick, I want you to imagine that you are now in that classroom that I was in in fifth grade. Or maybe your, your own fifth grade classroom, if, if you can remember it. Uh, but you're in a fifth grade classroom, and, and you're sitting there, and you know that this test has been coming up. You've, you've been told about it for weeks. And, uh, you know, you've had plenty of time to study, and you even know what the material is about. And uh, so you know all this information. And, uh, and so the teacher comes by and you're sitting at that desk and she puts that test right in front of you. And you're looking at that test and you realize that you don't know the answers to this test. Now, the end result might not be exactly how it was for me. Um, because we can't assume that this test is going to just be thrown away. We can't assume that the teacher is going to say, you know what? It's not going to count. 
against you. But we also can't put the blame on other people in this situation. If we're, if we're taking this test, we can't say, well, it's the teacher's fault for making this test too difficult. Uh, it's, it's everyone else's fault. It's the material is just too hard. It's not my fault that I'm going to fail this test. You see, in this situation, we try to remove the blame for failing our own test. And in the exact, exact same way, when we encounter moments of failure in our lives, we want to remove the blame from ourselves. We want to do everything we can to get rid of this blame and put it somewhere else. But in reality, we are responsible. When it all comes down to it, we are the ones that are responsible for this. And so as we look through this concept that we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see that if sin comes our way and we fail, we have to understand that if we're trying to get rid of that blame, we are simply embracing sin and at the same time we're blaming God. We are responsible for doing that. I want to look at a passage in the book of Hebrews. Uh, specifically chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Uh, now, for Hebrews, uh, we don't exactly know who the author of Hebrews was, but one thing that we do know is exactly what they wanted to get across in this book. Uh, there, there's really two big points that we can gather from the book of Hebrews that we can learn from. One of those things is that Jesus is superior Jesus is superior to, to all things. So that's the first point we learn from that. The second point that we learn from, uh, from Hebrews is that because he is superior, we should follow him in response. Jesus is superior and we are to follow him. We are to follow the one who is above all else. And so we understand this main point from Hebrews. Uh, and, and I want to look at a passage specifically in chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 14. And this is what it says. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, this passage as, as it is explaining all of these things uh, that really go along with what Hebrews is telling us, it's telling us that our Savior understands our struggles with sin. He understands the, the fight that we are encountering with temptation. The things that are going to come into our life that are going to combat us, that are going to try and pull us down. Our Savior understands that. Now, how does He understand that? It's because He's been here on earth. He has come down to this earth and He has lived just as we have lived. But not only that, He has been tested. It even says He's been tested uh, in every way just as we have been. He has had to, to, to stand here and fight all of those things that, that you and I are fighting. 
But the most important thing about the life of Jesus is not only that he came here and that he was tested, but that he overcame every single one of those temptations. He overcame all of them. And so, what does that mean for us? That means that our God, our Savior, Jesus, has the answers to what we do not. Jesus has the right answers. So as we think about this, we then think about this idea of, you know, okay, so we know that Jesus is a part of our life. We know that Jesus is a part of this equation of of who we are to be. So where is the disconnect? Where is the, the part that we kind of fail to get wrong in all of this? Because we know that our Savior has the answers. We know that Jesus is required in our lives. So where do we mess this up? I believe that though we know our life requires Jesus, we fail in our relationship with Him. We don't fail in knowing who Jesus is. I think we get that pretty quickly, pretty easily. Where we fail is the way that we view the relationship that we have with Jesus. Back when I was in high school, yes, you get two stories this morning. When I was in high school, uh, my mother and myself, we went uh, out for this thing I'm sure you've heard of called Black Friday. You know what Black Friday is. Uh, The day after, and actually, back in high school, that was back when it actually didn't start until Friday, because now it starts on like Thursday afternoon, but I'm not going to get into that. It, it does bother me, but we won't get into it. Uh, so on that Friday, it is of course Black Friday, and my mom and myself, we get up really early, uh, and our plan was to go to Target. And Target opened at 6 a.m., and so we got up at like 3.30, we made sure that we were going to be at Target, ready to go, ready to stand in line at 4 a.m. So we, we get ready, and we go out to Target, And I'll be honest, there's actually a good amount of people in front of us, probably about 100 people already in line. And we think, all right, well, that's not too bad. Uh, You know, we'll we'll be fine. So we go, we get in line at Target outside. Now, of course, you know that as time progressed, uh, we began to see a group of people that were gathering behind us because obviously the line is going to get longer as it's closer to time for it to open. And so the line just keeps growing and growing. And it ends up going all the way to the end of the store outside, and then all the way down the parking lot, and then it starts to circle around the parking lot. There are a lot of people that are wanting to get in. But all these people, obviously, they're they're getting up early, they're taking their time, they're they're waiting, whether it's two hours, the people before us, four or five hours, the people after us, you know, still a good hour. So all these people are gathering But as it gets to about 5.50, we notice another group of people. That's a group of people that we're not too fond of. Because there are a group of people that are still pretty far away, but they're kind of starting to hover around the entrance of where we're supposed to go in. And they're just kind of hovering. They're keeping their distance. You know, they're not in line. But we notice as time continues to get closer and closer to 6 o'clock, these people are starting to just kind of 
kind of get one more step closer and one more step closer. And before we know it, they are like they're feet away from the line. It's about a minute until we're supposed to go in and they're a foot from the line. And obviously they're trying to skip us. Uh, they are trying to, to get into this line and, and get what they haven't worked for. They're trying to basically get in front of all these other people who've been waiting for one or two or four or five hours. And so in this situation, we see these two different groups of people. Now, just so you know, uh, they didn't get in. Security showed up, so it was all good. We got our stuff. Uh, But here's what I want us to get from this. Uh, I believe that when we look at this relationship with our God, with Jesus, I believe that we can categorize ourselves into one of two groups. Our first one is that uh, those people who keep Jesus in sight. Those people who keep Jesus in sight. Um, I would classify them as those people that really just kind of hover around where Jesus is. You know, they're kind of just making sure that they're within a good distance where, you know, when, when they really need to be with, with God, they can, they can make it happen. But otherwise, they're going to kind of keep their distance. And along with that, they're not really going to put in the work. You see, the people that keep Jesus in sight, these are the characteristics of these people. We, of course, you know, will think about who Jesus is. We will worship him and we'll even come to worship uh, you know, every week and, and make sure that we spend time uh, in worship to him or praying uh, through him. But we don't have to fully commit to this relationship. And we think that as long as I'm not too far in distance from from Jesus, then I'll be kept safe. And so what happens in this particular situation, for those that keep Jesus in sight, is they believe that there is this give-and-take relationship where if I give any of my time to my God, then He's going to give things to me in return. And that any time I devote something to Him, that I should receive something as a result. And so they think that, you know, as long as I'm not too far, I'm going to be safe. And those difficult things, they're not going to come my way because I'm devoting that time to Jesus. And if they do, if those difficult things do show up, then, well, Jesus hasn't kept up his end of the deal. And so he knows that I'm going to fail. And that's probably what's going to happen. And there's when the blame comes back in. But in this relationship, we believe that God's role in our lives is to make us happy. And that's when we misinterpret this whole verse. That's when we misinterpret what this is trying to tell us. That's when we follow the footsteps of Israel. These people that Paul is telling Corinth not to be like. That's when we live as if we have the answers to what's in front of us without us actually putting the work in to get it right. So we have the people that keep Jesus in sight. The other category are those that draw near to Him. These are the people that 
that put in the work that is required and do what it takes to be as close to him as they can. And the difference between these two groups is that those that draw near to him, they don't just think about him, they think as Jesus would think. They act in the way that they think Jesus would act. Not only that, but they live for him, not just set aside certain times in their life for him. When we draw near to our God, we fully commit to him through a devotion of our time and of our actions. And in this situation, it's completely different because we don't just think that we're safe. We know that we are safe. Not because difficult times aren't going to come. Because we know that there are going to be points when our, weakness, uh, our weaknesses are going to be attacked. There are times when sin is going to, absolutely at our weakest point, is going to, to attack us. But we will know that when we live for Him, nothing is going to separate us from Him. And that we are able to endure anything that comes our way because of that relationship. You see, we're never going to be in situations in our life where the only option out is through sin. Where something is going to take place and the only answer, the only way that we can really uh, kind of get through that is, is by allowing sin to be the answer. That's never going to be the only answer. Because choosing our God, our Creator, our Savior, and, and looking to His Word, it is always an option. And choosing our God is always the right answer. Every time. No matter how difficult things in life might seem, there's always a way out. It's always by following our God. And so all of this comes back to us. And I hope that we're able to, as we you know, went through all of this, I hope that we were un- able to understand this passage and exactly what it was trying to say. But I really want to, I really want to say this. Our life is not supposed to be, and it's not going to be easy. There are going to be times in our life where we are going to face not just sin, not just temptation, but those exact temptations that we think we aren't capable of withstanding. There are going to be things that enter our life that we might think at the time are just too difficult for us. And honestly, right now you might be, you might be hurting. Um, you might be feeling like you are losing a battle to sin and wondering why God hasn't just delivered you out of that temptation, out of that issue that's taking place. Or maybe giving in to that temptation or that sin that is separating you from God, while at the same time just trying to barely keep Him in view. See, this is a crucial time when we really have to look at 
this passage and everything that we've talked about, and we have to ask this question. What does your relationship with Jesus really look like? And I'm not putting this up here so you can, you know, fill in the blank and then kind of say, okay, good question. I want you to really think about this question. I want you to really actually think through your life and assess your life right now and ask yourself, what does my relationship with Jesus really look like? And I want you to think back to those two different, two different relationships that we looked at. The person who, uh, you know, just kind of hovers in the, in the area of where Jesus is and just makes sure that he's just in sight. Who devotes time to him but doesn't really fully commit or the person who, who draws near to Him, who puts in the time and makes the commitment. What does your relationship with Jesus really look like? Where are you looking for your answers? In Him or in yourself? One more time, I want to look at this passage. This is again First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, at the end there, He doesn't say that you will be able to... He's going to provide a way for you to not have to deal with it. He's going to provide a way for you to uh, basically take the blame and put it somewhere else. He says that you are going to be able to endure it. When you have Jesus in your life and when that relationship is close, when you have drawn near to Him, you will be able to endure any and every temptation that comes your way. That's what this passage is telling us. That you can make it through, but you have to draw near to Him. You have to be able to commit to a life for Him. Again, this life is not supposed to be easy. And it's not going to. And you might find yourself, and probably will find yourself, at some point overcome with temptation. Overcome with the amount of different things that are trying to pull you down and separate you from God. And rather than saying, God, why are you allowing this? I'm, I'm doing things for you. We can say, God, I trust you. I am with you. And I know that you are going to pull me through this. But we absolutely have to draw near to Him. Maybe you are here this morning and you feel like you've done nothing more than just keep Jesus in sight. And that your relationship with Him, though it does exist, has been a lot of giving to Him and expecting a lot in return. And you realize that you've been, you've been living this relationship and you've been trying to make this relationship happen in the, the wrong way. Or maybe you don't yet have a relationship with God. And you know that you need to put Christ on in baptism. You need to make that decision to become a part of His church and to start living for Him. To have that relationship with Him that you need. 
whatever it might be, whether it be for prayers or for encouragement or anything that the church can do to help you in any way, we ask that you come forward as we stand.